Hey folks, it's Mark from the Two Stewards Show, and we're wrapping up our series on young people in the real estate market. And in this episode, we zoom out a little bit more to look at the bigger picture. One of the questions we've had is, why is this happening? So we address that. Why can't young people afford real estate? So we get into uh, the monetary system, the crises, debt super cycle, and uh, immigration. So let's dive into the episode. Welcome everyone back to the Two Stewards Show. My name is Brent and I'm here with Mark. And today we are doing our final episode on young people in the real estate market. So we've touched on a couple different topics related to uh, young people, why exactly they might want to buy a house in the first place. And then also uh, some strategies to be able to get into the market. Uh, we talked about house hacking and different options for uh, renting and some strategies that way. Um, but we thought it w might be a good idea to actually take a step back, zoom out about, uh, zoom out, not in, right? Zoom out a bit further. Yeah, right. And uh, um, just get a sense of what is the bigger picture? Um, what's actually going on here? Um, like, why is it exactly that young people can't afford real estate? And this has kind of been a trend for a number of years, and it might be something that people aren't, um, you know, maybe they're subconsciously aware of this is actually happening, but they don't know exactly what are all the factors that come into play here. So Mark and I kind of want to dive in and uh, talk about this topic a little bit more. So let's jump into it. Mark, why is this happening? <laughs> I think the biggest reason young people can't afford real estate is because they're spending all their money on avocado toast and lattes. <laughs> <laughs> what should they? They should be spending their money on Diet Coke and uh, cheesecake or what? Yeah. No, that's, that's a common thing you hear, right? Which is just, it's symptomatic of, you know, they don't have their financial priorities in the right place. But right. so, you know, and maybe there's, there's some truth to that, but when you're looking at the real estate market, like that is certainly not the whole picture. Yeah. Right. We, we've, we've talked about, um, even if our, I manage my money really well, yeah, I still, you know, <clears throat> I still can't afford a house, Mark. <laughs> no, you're, you're right. And like, so there's a grain of truth to that, right? We've talked about like our consumeristic culture and our, our you know, high time preference. Like we need things right away. So, the, you know, there's a little bit of truth to that, but that's not the, the, the be on the end all for real estate anyways. Um, like really it's, it's the system that we're in, right? It doesn't, doesn't take a genius to kind of look at uh, asset prices, so real estate would be you know the one that we we like to talk about. But look at asset prices over the last five years, ten years, fifty years, and then you kind of compare. Yeah, I want to just jump in and <coughs> uh -huh. ask you what, like, how would you define an asset? Like, I think we talked about this a little bit, but um, like, yeah, what makes something an asset? Like that you want to buy it. Um, when you say asset prices go up, like let's define that a little bit more. Yeah, you know? fair enough. So when I'm talking about assets, hard assets, um, so these are things that I guess will retain their value, that are valuable intrinsically and will retain their yeah. value. Um, and, you know, in the, the context of what we're talking about, something that's that will... And that's kind of the reason why you buy them to begin with is because they retain their value. Yeah, there's a few a few reasons, right? One of the reasons we, we like real estate is because, yeah, it retains 
Like it has intrinsic value because you can live in it. Mm-hmm. So like that's good, especially if it's like your personal house. Um, but yeah, it, it also will retain its value, especially when we talk, you know, we talked about this in the inflation episode, I think, but when you look at uh, money and what's money worth, um, we know that money depreciates over time. So we want something that is not going to depreciate over time. We want something that'll appreciate over time. So that's, that's generally when we look at assets versus liabilities. Uh, it's something that either maintains its value or goes up in value. So that to you as a person, as a business, whatever, it's valuable. As opposed to something like a liability, which uh, is, is not valuable to you or could take away from your, uh, your net worth or from from your financial position. Okay, so the system that we live in right now, uh, we see asset prices go up. Yeah. And why? <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's, again, a function of, um, of inflation and the system that we have. But just to, to be clear, when I'm talking about assets anyways, I'm, you know, real estate you know, is, a, is a big one, but there are other things as well. So like uh, gold or precious metals could be an asset, and that's been a fairly common one for a long time that people uh, have invested in. Um, and yeah, what else, uh, what else do you have? So, I mean, there, there's Bitcoin, which we haven't really talked much about. We can get into that later, but I see that as another uh, hard asset that will retain or increase its value against the dollar, yeah. against uh, you know, sort of the soft... Uh, money that we have but in terms of um, yeah young people why can't they get into real estate and you know it's because the value of real estate has increased versus the value of the dollar and versus their their wages right if inflation if everything works in lockstep in inflation like wages increase at the same rate as groceries and as real estate then there wouldn't be a problem, right? This, right. And this is sort of the system that people have in mind when we're talking about inflation. Like, yeah, everything goes up and that's normal. But we discuss that and that's not how it works and there's different rates. Yeah. And, you know, in order for people to protect themselves against depreciation of the dollar, they invest in assets and real estate has proven to be one of the best investments. So naturally, when more people are buying it, it's scarcer and the price of it is going to go up or the, you know, the value, I guess, in monetary terms of that asset, real estate in this case, will go up more quickly than other things leading to an imbalance, right? You have that shift. And so we see that specifically with wages where wages have not increased anywhere close to the same value as, uh, as real estate. And so I guess that's, you know, the key to building wealth is to find assets that in, you know, do better than inflation, or at least keep pace with inflation, so that you, you know you don't destroy your your wealth. So stocks is another another asset which I don't um, you know I don't particularly like as a long term strategy. Part of your portfolio, sure, but some people will pit like stocks against real estate and say, oh, you should don't put everything in stocks, right? Like, no, that can be a part of your portfolio. But um, when you look at the rate of inflation versus the S and P five hundred over time. It's essentially a wash. Like stocks have not done better than inflation. And that's fine because at least you've maintained the value of your money compared to the prices of everything else and your purchasing power. 
because that's really what it comes down to, right? What is your purchasing power? And if your wages yeah. aren't increasing and your purchasing power isn't increasing, you better have something else, like a hard asset, where your money can go into that will maintain your purchasing power and yeah. your ability to maintain uh, your lifestyle. So maybe let's talk about um, wages for a second, because um, when I think about a young person getting in and trying to buy and like, I guess, not being aware of what's going on behind the scenes, they want to do everything right. So they're trying to mm -hmm. listen to their parents, listen to previous generations, like, you know, what worked before, right? Um, you kind of like you do that with a lot of things in your life, right? You look to, you know, those who've gone before you to learn, like, you know, what do they do? What was successful? What can I learn? You know, okay, well, what is the rhetoric? It's go to school, right? Get good grades in school. Make sure you focus on that. Okay, I do that. Check, right? Then I want to go to post secondary education. I want to get into a stream that, you know, has some good job at the end. And I'm going to get that. Okay, check. Like, you know, I, I've done all these things, Mark. And, um, you know, now I have this job that, you know, I thought would be able to pay for what I need. And now there's like, it's not lining up. Like my job income is lower than what I thought, you know, I, my standard of living would be able to be at this point. <clears throat> So I don't know if that's just a common thing with every generation coming to age and they think like, you know, I'm going to have everything my parents did, uh, you know, as soon as I graduate from college or university or whatever. Um, and maybe that, that is part of it, but I think like there's, there's something deeper going on. Um, maybe you want to touch on that a little bit, like young people coming out, they do all the right things, but they're still further behind. Like, mm -hmm. why is that? Well, so this is where I think it really helps to have a, a big, bigger picture view, right? So we're both kind of macroeconomic fans and not because like we're so interested in economics, which is kind of like, I don't know, it's a boring field of study, but <coughs> boring. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I think so. But it's the implications that kind of get me excited and like right. how this can work in my life, how I can apply it, right? What yeah. are the implications? Like when you get right into like different monetary theories and, and all the math, like drives me bonkers. But um, point is, look at the bigger picture and we're coming to the end of a debt super cycle. And like, that's, Whoa, you, that's a big word. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a whole thing that we, you know, we're not going to have time to get so into. So it's a debt cycle, but this one's actually really good. So it's super. <laughs> it's actually really bad. Okay, so that's <laughs> super bad cycle. Yeah. Um, but no, if you like, you do a little bit of reading, and you, you know, this is like, this is not controversial. We're coming to the end of a debt super cycle. And like everybody knows things are going to have to change one way or another. Um because our system is based on debt and it's like starting to not work. And that's, you referred to some of the things that are going on, bank like failures, bank failures. And, and things, you know, and bank not that, bailouts. yeah, the bailouts and just the general prognosis for our system is, is not good. But for young people, you know, look at sort of the bigger themes and try and try and ride the, ride the wave or ride the trends. Uh, to your advantage, right? So some some young folks are doing this, and I think there's a growing awareness that, like, and it's not always um, not always put into words the same way, but like, you need a side hustle, right? 
everybody doing these side hustles because they kind of realize a lot of a lot of young folks that what we've been doing what my parents did isn't going to work for me right mm -hmm. and specifically what you said there's still a lot of people in that stream but you know go to school get a job like they, they just they do the math right i'm going to come out of school i can make 50 grand a year right mm -hmm. when i was younger coming out like that was you know that was okay fine but now if you want to buy a house or you want to have any kind of standard living in a city that's it's really not enough maybe if you get two people together and you can make a hundred thousand dollars a year like that used to be, i don't know to me that still seems like a big number but but it's not right it doesn't go as far right no it doesn't go as far um and the thing you mentioned about um like well, I guess I'm just thinking about this. So um, we almost have like you know, bank bailouts and bank failures. And um, we have like one crisis after the next, right, in the news. And I think people are bombarded with all this information. And the temptation is to um, look at that reactively and to get caught up in the present moment of like, you know, okay, it's like, what's the next crisis going to be tomorrow, right? And I think you were joking <laughs> offline about how the weather is a crisis, right? Like, you know, um, every every snowstorm we get is like, oh, no, like Armageddon. Um, but so, like, everything's sensationalized. And what that does to people's um, perceptions of, like, underlying economic trends and realities that don't really change very quickly Mm -hmm. um, but have a big impact on your financial future and on, um, your children's financial future. Right. And they're like, it's a, it's a generational thing. So those trends are kind of being ignored because they're not as sensational as, you know, bank failure. And like, you know, let's get all the details on this and then move to the next political, mm -hmm. uh, issue. Right. Um, so I think, uh, young people especially, um, need to be attuned to, like basically asking the question, you know, what's behind the curtain? Like what, what's actually going on here? Not just reading headlines or like reacting to news and, you know, this, uh, quick sensational stuff and, and educate yourself a little bit more. And I think we talked about that, um, uh, on a previous episode too, just ed yeah. financial literacy, right. Educating yourself. Um, so you can kind of get yourself out of this constant need for stimulation and like next big crisis. And, you know, and, and those things are kind of things that you can point blame at too, right? Like, well, you know, banks are failing. Like, do you think I could buy a house? Obviously the bank, like, well, no, you know, that's just one symptom of the underlying problem. Um, and a lot of the crisis that we do see today are, um, are symptoms, right? They're like, you know, the bank went under. Yeah. Well, the bank doesn't just go under. Like there's, uh, there's something underlying that. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's so, yeah, I would think again for young people, like don't get distracted, like you said, by all the sensationalized everything out there. We just go from one crisis to another. We have a constant need for, to maintain our attention, right? Whether it's social media and like, I'm a victim of that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'll call myself a victim, right? But you just get you get into a yeah. But I'm a victim, and I'm younger than you. So there we go. How's that for intersectionality, yeah. Mark? Okay, you you win, you win, Brent. Um, I'm the most victimized. But when you when you start thinking about real estate, right? This is a big investment, which and you need to save up money for a long time. 
So you need to kind of clear your head around, you know, all the, the noise that's out there and all the things that could potentially take your time, energy, money, especially social media. Yeah. Everybody's got a nice car, nice vacations, all yeah. these things, right? Um, and, you know, I, I'm not saying that everybody falls victim to this, but it's, it's easy to do. Yeah. So getting back to real estate, you need to save up a down payment. So you need to, like I said, clear your head of all this other stuff and... You know, maybe that means you can't buy buy the avocado toast. <laughs> That's my favorite <laughs> insult for millennials. But no, you, you know, you can't spend the money on the vacations, or you can't, um, yeah, you know, s- spend it on you know more discretionary stuff because you need to sacrifice uh, in order to uh, achieve something of worth, or you know, have something of value. And that has always been the case, right? People always said like, "Oh, it's so easy for." Um, you know, my grandparents or my parents to buy a house. Like, no, it wasn't easy. It's certainly probably harder now, but the mindset of uh, a little bit of sacrifice for something of longer-term value um, still holds true today. And, yeah, people need to keep that in mind, you know. Hmm. Obviously, that again, that the gap between wages and value of real estate is still bigger. And there's, you know, there's plenty of information out there to show that. But it's still achievable. We talked about some of that stuff the last time, but we're talking about the system now and like, why is this happening? Um, Yeah, another uh, question I think that kind of comes up is, you know, is it is it wrong to not care about money? And I'm thinking kind of from a Christian perspective, like, you know, some people say I just don't care about money, or I don't like. should this be a big topic? Like, why are we starting a podcast on this? Like, why why should I care? And is it wrong to to not care? Right? Because the temptation is like, um, you know, I just live my life, do my thing, and um, you know, God will provide. And you know, I don't really I say care, but like, yeah, you don't love money. But um, yeah, what do you think to that that comment? Um, like, is it? Is it wrong to not care about money? Yeah, so there's a couple of couple of things in there. So I guess spoiler alert, you know, if you've been listening to this podcast, like <laughs> you know what our answer is. Yes, you need to care about money. Yeah. <laughs> um, but not in a uh, self fulfilling way, not in, you know, like self serving. Yeah, self serving. That's uh, that's what I was looking for. Reminds me of self serve ice cream. Um, oh, that goes with your <laughs> avocado toast. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but no, we, we need to care about money, right? If we want to be uh, good stewards, yeah. right? if we want to be stewardly, if we want to be prudent, I think there's plenty of examples in the Bible about that as well, where um, you know the good stewards were rewarded, the people who are prudent and, and wise. So we're in a system now which is corrupt and we were talking about this before the show a little bit, right? Like it feels kind of weird. We're we're sort of advocating for a different monetary system, but at the same time, we both have businesses that we're in the current system. We're both investing in real estate and doing things um, to make money and to mm-hmm. use the current system to its maximum uh, potential as much as we can do that. Uh, while at the same time, you know, we're we're looking at we're hoping for something better. And that's a good analogy for the Christian life as well, right? We're yeah. in this world and... Um, There's a lot of pain and suffering. 
Yeah, yeah. And Jesus never said, like, just go isolate yourself out of this world. But, you know, we're here right now, but we're looking for something better. And we're evangelizing about that that better thing. But in the meantime... We're helping we get, people who actually um, are in need, right? And, yeah. And, and dealing with the consequences of sin and... Yeah, so we're we're using this the system that we have to its maximum, and there's I think that's um, there's good biblical precedent for this as well, right? You need to be able to. It says take care of the widow and the orphan, right? How can you do that if you can't take care of yourself, or if you can only barely take care of yourself? So yeah. that's another argument for this less sensationalistic viewpoint of life and and less um event driven but more uh longer time frame yeah deeper um, purpose kind of have a have a have a goal yeah and stick with it and um yeah your goals should be informed by you know the bible <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly <laughs> and that's why like yeah we need to care about money we need to pay attention to this stuff we don't need to be consumed by it and and different people have different roles to play and yeah different different lifestyles different things that they do so that doesn't mean everybody needs to have a goal to become financially independent by the age of x yeah right when i'm like, mark's age i want to be financial <laughs> if you're not you screwed up brent yeah. <laughs> i screwed up <laughs> but i'm so making you a look to your elders to learn a thing or two <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to make amends <laughs> in this case um but so, yeah the, the the you know my my argument is yeah we need to care about it we need to work within the system not be overtaken by mammon right you can serve one master so if you want to serve god then you serve him but we still deal with the present reality of where we are and the world that we live in give unto caesar what is caesar's um the, jesus said so you know, that's not just about paying taxes, I think, but it's about acknowledging the system that you're in and just don't get too, you know, we get pretty uh, worked up about all this stuff, um, but, you know, maybe maybe we shouldn't. Uh, yeah, so on so that much. note, like, <clears throat> we need to work with the current system. Like, so what is our current system? Like, here in Canada, <clears throat> I think you had the comment about how um, dependent Canada is on real estate and... Um, Maybe you want to just flesh that out a little bit too, because what uh, what exactly does that look like for um, for people? Um, if you're looking to get into the market, like <clears throat> a big sector of Canada's economy is real estate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so something like forty percent of our GDP is related to real estate activity, which is like which is crazy, right? When you think of the basis of wealth and where money comes from it comes from trade so yeah trade within a country or an economy is good but you know trade with the other 60 percent government uh spending (laughs) (laughs) a big big percentage probably is um but yeah trade with other countries is probably uh you know even better uh, for in in terms of wealth creation so it's not it's not healthy i don't think but you know it is what it is. So um, figure out ways to yeah to deal with that and to use that to your advantage. So the the biggest way is to own some of the real estate, right? Beyond the 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 receiving end on the part that gets the benefit of the assets, gets the benefit of that activity versus um, being on the end that just pays for it, that just pays rent, 
that never um well and i'm not I'm not putting down renters, but I'm just making the case that like you, you need to be you're going to be on one end or, or the other, usually not both um so you know which end do you want to be on? You want to probably be on the the end that is benefiting from this, and again, with the idea that this is not just for you, not just for your financial future like that that's certainly a part of it but there's other people to take care of as well, and people who maybe don't have the same opportunities, the same yeah. <laughs> um, ways to take advantage of this system, because you will always have, uh, yeah, uh, people so, around like that. Like the, uh, I think we're kind of well aware that the like the population growth in Canada is crazy, um, and I think just lately the like it's been a lot in the news, like how we have a million people coming here in 2022. Yeah, I don't think that's going to slow down. Um, but that kind of like for perspective for people who are like wondering, Hey, why is this happening? Well, that is a, that is a huge part of, um, housing because like you said, um, Canada is dependent on real estate. It's a big part of our economy. So maybe it's treated, um, it's treated with respect in terms of policies, right? Like people don't, politicians don't make policies that, you know, slight real estate, and, uh, you know, because it is a big sector of the, the economy, right? So, but the other aspect to what's going on in uh, our world is no secret that we're getting a ton of uh, population growth. And when you talk about <laughs> population growth, they got to live somewhere. So where, where are they going to live? In the houses that we are building for them or not building for them. <clears throat> so if we're not keeping up with supply, um, we're going to have uh, pressure so that that that's one thing that I think um, can help inform, um, like a look behind the curtain, right? Like I don't I don't want to say just like population's growing great, but like I would say to people, look at population growth trends, right? <clears throat> and like do some digging for yourself, um, like where where in the world is growing in population, where is shrinking in population? That has a direct impact on housing right and that would mm -hmm. help to describe why houses are going up in price so much when seemingly like you know um that house last year would cost you know five hundred thousand. now it's eight hundred thousand. like why why exactly and we we talked about monetary reasons why um you know inflating the money supply uh, impacts that a lot as well but this is another big reason uh that we're facing here in canada especially in like um, the GTA and yeah. like any other urban areas where a lot like that attract a lot of immigration because we have a lot of jobs. We have, uh, um, like, you know, a lot of reasons why people would want to come here. And when they do, um, you end up with like just housing shortages everywhere. And I see that personally, I don't know about you from experience. I can just say like, we have a bunch of units on the market right now and the number of responses that you get from people of all walks of life, uh, people from all countries around the world, um, that a lot, like there's, there's a lot of people that don't speak English. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you go, uh, have viewings and like, it's just hard to communicate with some people, but like they just got here, like literally, um, you know, and that's every single time I, I, yeah. I post an ad, I get, <laughs> you know, like a hundred responses and it's like, where are these people actually living? And where will they be living next year? And where do they want to be living, right? Because uh -huh. a lot of them, 
uh, come here for a future and they come here to establish uh, their children and the next generation and they want to get educated, they want to grow a family, they want to get settled, right? And maybe they're they're going to come to the urban areas and they're going to figure out, you know, hey, I actually want to be in a different part of the country or whatever. But um, people who have support communities and networks, when they when they get here, they kind of stick around and they maybe they get a job and they're happy. And then, yeah, they a lot of them, a lot of people in general just strive for home ownership. So the competition is just going up and up and up. <clears throat> so, well, and and not, um, yeah, not even home ownership, like especially not immediately, right? When you look at the breakdown of who's coming in, a million people. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, let's break that down for a second. I think we got to wrap up soon. But um, typically, we've, you know, if you look at the trends, and we should probably, I should pull some of these charts up, but um, we've been, uh, sorry, squirrel. (laughs) (laughs) Right, we've, we've had in the, you know, over the past 10 years, you know, 200,000 ish. 250,000 people coming in a year, which is still a pretty big number, right? Just as a percentage of population. And that has been contributing to the housing shortage. So you talked about, you know, where a lot of people will come to Ontario. Again, roughly 40, 41% of immigrants uh, end up in Ontario. They don't necessarily all stay there, right? I was looking at some of the latest numbers for uh, inter-province migration, and that just keeps rising and rising and rising, right? I think last quarter alone was 7,500 people moved from Ontario to Alberta. So, Alberta, you know, looking at, you know, where the, where the trends are happening, like Alberta is probably a good one to look at because it's where people are going. I mean, it's cold there, <laughs> but people don't know that when they, <laughs> if they move in the summer. Um, but anyways, yeah, you, so you talk about a million people, so 40%, that's 400,000 people coming into Ontario. Are we building, so yeah, are we building enough housing? When you look at immigration and uh, housing, usually it's about 2.9 people per home. So with immigration and depending on the cultures and where they're coming from, that number could be bigger. Right, but that's you know that's an average. So let's say three people per home. So if you divide um, a million by three, that's three hundred thirty-three thousand new housing units that we should be building in Canada. I don't have the numbers here, but I know we're nowhere, nowhere, <laughs> yeah, nowhere near not, that. Uh, not to mention the historical buildup of all the other people who uh, still don't have a home. Yeah, right? so we've got so, that historical yeah. shortage, and then we've got. Yeah, just in 2022, nobody told anybody anything, um, like in terms of the federal government prepping provincial and municipal governments. Our provincial government is like, they can kind of see it and they're trying to expand housing and people are kicking and screaming. But again, the breakdown, so 500,000 roughly of those million people are, uh, have come under the regular economic, or sorry, the regular immigration program where you have to kind of you know, score on a scorecard and they do some lotteries so that people who score low can get in. But those, these are like people who are going to get uh, citizenship eventually, right? They get their, their green cards and they're, they're kind of good to go. Um, and that would include refugees and stuff yeah. to a certain extent. The other 500,000, which people are finally starting to clue in on because this has been a growing trend, are non-permanent residents. And people say, well, why would you count that if they're non-permanent? Well, non-permanent resident really really just means not permanent yet. 
because the vast yeah. majority of those want to stay here. So we would include students in that, students as a, international students, huge, huge portion of that, a massive industry. And that's like, that's important to kind of think of that international students are a big industry for Canada. And that is to our shame, right? Because we're going out recruiting uh, like India, especially as a country where we, and you know, I say we, I just mean Canadians, um, Canadian institutions recruit heavily and it's not all wealthy um, foreign students, right? I, like I've done some work uh, at like University of Toronto and Mississauga and you notice a huge contingent of international students that are very wealthy, right? You would, you know, when, this is a few years ago, but doing work there, I'd regularly see Lamborghinis, Ferraris, Bentleys, all this stuff in the student parking lot. <laughs> right wow. so and this is just like you know a lot of them were from china a lot of and um that's a whole other story right um there's a book out willful blindness by sam cooper excellent read if anybody wants to kind of read a little bit about money laundering and all, all kinds of things like a lot of chinese money coming into canada and how that came about and where it's coming from but Anyways, uh, you got a lot of wealthy uh, Chinese folks that used to be the main driver. Now we've seen a shift to the not so wealthy uh, folks from other areas of Asia, like India especially, where the parents will basically sell the family farm to send this one kid to Canada to go like blaze a path for the rest of them or to be able to make enough money to uh, support the family there. And then when you read the stories, like they're, yeah, they're, they're terrible about how these students are getting taken advantage of and they're, they're being recruited into like not big time universities. Some of them are where they'll pay up to three, four times the tuition, which is why they want these students. Yeah. Um, but they're, they're going into, you know, like for hairdressing and for like, not to put that down, but that's not a good reason to move continents away and spend your whole entire family fortune uh, to go study something that really doesn't have a lot of value, but they don't they don't know that because they're given a bill of goods by recruiters. They come here to and just look at the growth in some like community colleges. Some of them have just gone absolutely bonkers in terms of uh, size and and programs um, for yeah. programs that are not useful. But the idea is. Uh, really, it's like an unofficial visa program, right? Just get into Canada yeah, and once I've you're heard, there. Uh... You, you you know then you work on like staying there i've heard the non-permanent residents be called pre-permanent residents yeah because you know they are going to become permanent residents they're just not at that status yet so they're in here but that the reality is that you're saying like even if uh like all these people do come like they they, they need a place to live and um, whether or not they have the financial means to get into the market or they're going to be renting or whatever, uh, they're having an impact on our housing market. And Absolutely. that's the one, not an impact that we can brush aside. Like we have to have our eyes open when it comes yeah. to this. Yeah. And so the point there is, you know, if you're just looking at this in economic terms, like what is the trend you can look at here? Well, that means lots and lots and lots of renters, right? These kids aren't coming with a lot of money. They're not buying houses, right? We've seen that where some rich students will come and their parents will buy them a house and they live there for a few years and then uh, they'll either sell the house or keep it because it's a way to get their money out of the country they're in. But that's not the case for the vast majority of these students, right? Um, 
they just need somewhere to live. And I've seen that too, where you just have groups of people, groups of students looking at just that regular apartments and they want to cram like six people into a two bedroom. Yeah. And you're, you know, you feel bad, but like, no, I, the house can't take that wear and tear. Yeah. And we, we, we can't do that. But yeah, similar trends to what you're seeing, right? People are, people are becoming desperate and that's reflected in uh, what they're willing to pay and the types of, accommodations right room rentals i'm seeing so many ads just for room rentals as opposed to like apartment rentals yeah and that speaks to um like the lower standard of living right that um you know people need a place to live and they're going to make sacrifices until they can find one right and they're going to say well what what does my 500 dollars a month get me and yeah. where where am i going to live okay well that's where i gotta live um yeah it's it's not pretty but i think be aware of these trends, uh, especially if you're looking at, um, like you said, buying a house takes saving up a down payment, takes time, and it ultimately is a long-term purchase, right? Like you don't just buy a house and sell it next week or buy a house and sell it next year. Like usually, um, you know, these, these purchases are kind of things that, you know, they say get a mortgage, like <laughs> until you pay until you die, right? Like um, it is a significant uh, commitment in your life, right? Um, so to, to look, uh, and to be aware of the underlying trends from a, a bit of a bigger scale, um, not just to read the headlines and say, Oh, a million people came to Canada. That's nice. It's like, well, let's do some extrapolation of what that means for the housing market this year. What about next year? What about the year after? Like, what, what, what are the trends? Are they, are they projecting another million next year or like 2023, whatever, yeah. right? Like every um, and start, start analyzing that and say to yourself, like, you know, Hey, do I see this trend reversing is, uh, the, I guess the counter to increase the population is increase the housing supply. Well, is that trend reversing? Like, are they going to be building more houses? Um, who builds the houses while well, the, <laughs> the federal government, or is it the provincial government or is it municipal government or is it just private developers and builders, right? Like. Uh, and where does the money come to build that? And uh, what does it cost? Who's going to be building? Like, where are all the people to build? And you start start looking at these things in a little bit more depth, then you can realize, like, the problems that are uh, currently in place are not going away very quickly. And they can't be if fixed. If at all. Yeah, if, if, at, if at all, if ever. Um, so the expectations that we have for our standard of living... Um, need to change or, um, will change just as a result. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of like what happened with technology and, you know, like let's think of like something like home delivery, right? Like you used to have to go out and buy everything at the store and that was just like the norm. Right. And then Who does that now? These, yeah, these, <laughs> these people <laughs> can order stuff online and now everybody orders stuff online. That's just a change in the standard of living. Like it does not make sense to go to the store to buy you know, half the stuff we buy, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, especially for young people, like they, they're, you know, you have a busy life or whatever and you got, you just click the button and it shows up, you know, tomorrow, right? And free shipping on Amazon. So the same sort of thing with, with housing, right? Like these underlying trends are going to change the realities moving forward and our standard of living, I think. Um, yeah, for the better or for worse, but I think that's something to be mindful of and prepared for. Well, and there's, yeah, there's broader implications just beyond real estate, but that can affect real estate. Um, but the, um, just quickly, you know, people talk about the housing bubble or the everything bubble, 
which yeah. is maybe a little more accurate, right? Where everything's going to crash and die. But when, you know, the reason we advocate buying real estate is, you know, looking at some of these long-term trends. So immigration has been one factor causing the value of real estate to increase. And that is not going to slow up. It's only going to increase, I think. Right, the government's not letting up on this. They've well, they need it, right? They need they need well, economic growth. Yeah, I so I don't buy the argument that you need immigration to create economic growth. Well, they need economic growth, right? Oh yes, they need economic growth. They have debts and they have to pay those debts. And the, yeah, where are they going to get the money? Yeah, GDP has to increase in a meaningful way just to to service debt. But um, <laughs> the the bigger point, like people are calling for a real estate uh, crash, right? And some people said, oh, it's happened, right? When the, the COVID prices dropped down. So yeah, okay, guys, you've been calling for it for 20 years and we had like, uh, you know, a spike. So, okay, you, you know, you want to call that a win, go ahead. But like long-term, when we look at what are, what are real estate prices like, all these things that you mentioned only point to in Canada, in Ontario, in the GTA, prices going up and up and up and up. And people will say, like, how could it go up? Well, look at house prices 10 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. We've tripled probably in, yeah. in our, just our area, right? What, like, why could they not, why would they not triple again in 10 years? Because all the same things that were happening then are happening now and more. Even worse. Yeah. And then, you know, and so the, the, in terms of the, the immigration, like, this is a g problem so you're saying that is, I need to triple my salary in the next uh, however many years? <laughs> well, yeah, look at, I don't know, look at, there's a lot of other places in the world where home ownership is just not attainable. And we think we're somehow immune to that because we live in A North America and this is how it's been. Land. But no, we're headed the same way. We're for the vast majority of people, it's just not going to be attainable unless your family already owns property. Um, but what I wanted to say is that like the government is creating this problem. The government should probably fix this problem, right? Because people will say, well, what are we going to do about this? Like, I can't do anything to counter a million new people coming into Canada, right? I can figure <laughs> out how to benefit from it, yeah. right? Own real estate, but I can't, there's nothing I can do about it. But you think about the broader societal implications, like just in terms of infrastructure, Right, real estate is one thing. We're not building yeah. enough homes, but we're also not building enough of anything else. Hospitals and schools, and yeah, to account for this. So, what is going to happen to our society as well? Um, like, you're just really creating more division between, like, having two tiers, like the rich and the poor, the haves and the have-nots, yeah. and the middle class is just getting squished out of existence because yeah, if you need a medical procedure and you can afford to pay for it, you go somewhere else. Exactly, and, and if not, you're stuck in a wait line. Yeah, you go into public uh, health and you may get the attention you need. And, you know, maybe you don't before you die because you're just waiting for that um, waiting for that to happen. So, yeah, it's not good. You know, again, what, which side do you want to be on of that thing? I'd rather be on the side of the haves where I can maybe help other people, right? First, take care of my family, my wife, my children, um, and then be able to help the people on that end. Yeah. So, like from a Christian perspective, what do you know? What do we do? Well, we really can't change a lot of these factors: our economic, economic system, the debt system, immigration, all this stuff. Yeah, we got to uh, do the best we can we, we for can ourselves. Talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> you're right. Aware about it, right? we can increase awareness for <clears throat> sure. Um, but yeah, if you want to be able to to help others, 
you need to be in a position to do that. And, uh, I think that's, that's a prudent thing. Yeah. To do. So that, on that note, like, um, in terms of awareness, that's what we're kind of hoping to do. Uh, Mark and I, a little bit of a series coming up on, uh, the properties of sound money. And this is something like, uh, I think we brought up before, but, um, it has a big impact on, uh, yeah, society, <laughs> <laughs> the degrading of money. Uh, leads to the degrading of a lot of things in society. Um, and we, we kind of want to go through and outline for people um, exactly what properties or characteristics uh, make for good money and uh, compare those, I guess, with what uh, our current system runs on, the money that we use, and whether or not those two line up. And it makes sense uh, for us to continue using um, the system that we are and just speak about the broader implications of all of these things. So hopefully we can get into that in uh, upcoming episodes. There's probably a ton we can talk about on that. So we're going to break it down try and uh, um, come up with a bit of a framework for every, uh, for the upcoming episodes. But um, is there anything else you want to talk, talk about now? No, I think uh, we've, uh, I think we've covered, uh, we've covered a lot of, a lot of ground. Um, one thing, yeah, one thing that just to tie into what you're saying, right? Why would we talk about the properties of, of sound money? Like, who cares? Um, like, I think we are headed for, th- there's going to be change coming, right? right. We, I talked about the, the debt super cycle. And so the, the thing about cycles is they end, right? They have a beginning and an end. And we're ready, we're heading towards the end. We're seeing the strain in our financial system. So are we going to have a, just a different iteration of the current system or are we going to have to move to an entirely different system? So yeah, if what? that happens, um, we need to be prepared for it. And that's why I think we want to talk about properties of sound money so that if, if there is a shift that we're prepared for it. Because, yeah, you can build up everything you have in the current system. And if that current system devalues all of our dollars to you know, five cents on the dollar or zero, you know, outside of our control. Yeah. Then we need to be prepared for that. So that's, uh, I think is a good reason to talk about, uh, yeah. Talk about sound money. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, in general, I think people have a high tolerance for all kinds of different stuff in society right now, but we have a low tolerance for pain. So, um, maybe especially for young people, like we're going to have to prepare to have more pain. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, so maybe on that note, let's close it for today and uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. So thanks for listening to the Two Stewards Show. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Two Stewards Show. If you like my voice better, click subscribe. And if you like my voice better, click share. If you like both, give us a five-star rating. To interact with the show, feel free to reach out at hello at twostewards.ca. We'll see you in the next episode. In the meantime, steward your wealth wisely.